Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. Are you curious to know the most common issue that I hear about from clients and from listeners who write in? It's communication, or rather, problems with communication. Whether it's being heard or feeling like you have no idea where your partner is coming from, or you're trying to communicate one thing but your partner hears something completely different, or you're always being criticized, the list of potential communication problems goes on and on. Fortunately, today's guest is going to help you take a monumental leap in the direction of communication that creates growth and connection in your relationship, and in how you communicate with others in general. Today's guest is Marty Babbitts, contributor to Psychology Today and co-director of the Family and Couples Treatment Service, a division of the Institute of Contemporary Psychotherapy in New York City. Marty is also the author of the extremely helpful book, I'm Not a Mind Reader, Using the Power of Three-Dimensional Communication for a Better Relationship. Marty has been working with families and couples for over 25 years, and the wisdom in this book combines that experience with the work of many of the guests who have been here on the show to create a manual for communication that will give you a completely new perspective on how to do it well. Marty has also generously offered a free signed copy of his book to a lucky listener. To qualify, all you have to do is download the show guide at neilsatin.com communication or text the word PASSION to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Meanwhile, prepare to dive deep into a recipe for communication that is sure to shift the results that you get as you interact with the world, especially the ones you love. Marty Babbitts, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. Neil, thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to this conversation with you. Great, me too. It's my pleasure to have you here. And uh, I, I love your book. I, I have to say that this happens for me frequently. I start reading uh, the book of a guest that's going to be on the show. And of course, it has a direct application to things happening in my own life. So um, while I like to think of myself as a masterful communicator, uh, the evidence doesn't always belie that as a true fact. So it was uh-huh. it was very helpful to read through your book and to have the way that we communicate spelled out in a in a clear and different way. So I'm wondering if you could take a moment to talk about the three-dimensional communication system. What sure. are the three dimensions and how do they work together? The three dimensions are, first of all, they are in every interaction with any two people that are connected. The first dimension is simply the literal meaning of what people say to each other. So the surface meaning. And if the, if the, the messages are complete and coherent, people can co- co- communicate and understand each other on that first dimension. But the second dimension is under the surface, and that's the emotional subtext that often becomes more complicated. It also includes not just the feeling within the words, but the way people are thinking about how they position themselves in relationship to their partners. 
So if it's a loving relationship, the love comes through in the second dimension. If there's contempt in the relationship, you, you can think of it as coming into the second dimension. The third dimension is the deepest, the most profound, and it's the dimension of mindfulness, the dimension of reflectiveness. It's a dimension in which you think about what your words mean, what the feeling within the words are about, and you take the pulse of whether what you're communicating is moving you towards creating emotional safety with your partner or away from that. So in the third dimension, implicit in third dimension, is your ability to monitor how the whole direction of the relationship is going. And so you take a snapshot of what's happening in any given moment and compare that with a snapshot of what's happening three minutes later and you have a sense of how direction is developing in the relationship. And that's one of the main um, benefits of thinking along these lines, which I, it, I shouldn't use the word thinking because it's more than thinking. It's, it's practicing awareness of what feelings and what ideas are transpiring and how do they compare with the ideas and feelings that you'd like to be creating in your relationship. Yeah, so what you just said, there's so much richness just in that alone. So there are a couple things that I want to highlight and ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, the first of them is I'm so glad you said that, you know, while your book is written about communication in the context of relationships, romantic relationships, um, these principles are true for any kind of communication and um, mm. And in fact, the way that it, I felt it applying to me had to do with a totally different communication that I've been having that had lots of um, opportunities to be really, really challenging. So mm-hmm. well, um, let me, if I can interrupt. Go ahead, second, please. Yeah. yeah. And say, you know, the way you introduced it is, the, the, and the way you, res- you seem to respond to the, the ideas in the book, open up an, an angle a way of thinking about communication that I think is very critical. Um, And it's not part of the three dimensions per se, but it's the willingness to be open and look at things. It's the willingness to learn. When you came upon some ideas, you you were saying you you think of yourself as a masterful communicator, which is lovely, (laughs) but that doesn't mean we all have a lot to learn. You know, relationships are so complicated. So we all have a lot to learn, and being open to that, being willing to re-examine. So it's not just what you know, it's allowing yourself to be aware of what you don't know. That's also so important. So I've sensed, you know, and I, I want to underscore the, the openness that you demonstrated, you know, in that, in that little statement that you made, and, and how that in itself exemplifies the spirit of three-dimensional communication. It involves openness and it involves willingness and learning. It involves an attitude that's open to learning. And I think that's critical. Yeah, and I like, well, thank you for one thing. And also we've talked a lot on the show about fostering an atmosphere of of curiosity with your partner. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying about willingness 
makes me think of curiosity also self-reflectively, like just being curious about yourself and and yeah. having that willingness to say, well, I think I do this well, and yet sometimes the results don't don't pan out the way I thought they would. So maybe I do have something to learn here, or you know, what, and that's why this show is so fascinating for me because it's, I mean, that's how I operate. But if I if mm-hmm. we if we could impart anything to our listeners today, um, that would be a huge point to underscore is to just have, I think you call it um, the the beginner's mind in your book to, mm-hmm. to really mm-hmm. foster that um, just willingness to, to try something new on and yeah, say, be- well, a beginner's mind and also a willingness to re-begin. Yeah. So a, a willingness to maintain that innocence and openness to the possibilities that no matter how sophisticated we get, there there may be whole vistas we're unaware of. Yeah. And yeah. we and that's okay. That's what it means to be human. It means to keep forging ahead and, and evolving. Yeah. Well, all right, so let's organically go there. Um because that immediately makes me think of um, the gorilla experiment that you write about and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the way that our mindset and shapes our our interactions with with our partners so um yeah could you comment on that a little bit and and the the impact of your mindset and how that could influence sure, where we go sure. you know because it, and it's interesting this happens to be the most popular psychology experiment of the last 25 years in other words it's in more textbooks than anything any other particular research paradigm. And it's very simple. The idea is if, if you give somebody a task that involves them focusing their attention and you structure it so that they feel they're under some degree of time pressure, they will attend to that task and the likelihood is that they will disregard data or perceptions that present themselves, even if that data is startlingly visible and attention-getting, or at least would be attention-getting under normal circumstances. And the way that works is they, they had a five college students passing a ball back and forth and the audience had to count the number of times the balls were were received, thrown and received. And in the meantime, during the experiment, in the middle of it, they had somebody dressed in a, in a gorilla costume romp through the center of the circle where the students were passing the ball. Believe it or not, the audiences, the audience members that was, were so focused on the ball that approximately 80% of the people in the audience did not notice the gorilla, <laughs> right? So this, is, this has been replicated again and again. And it just shows you, when, when, you uh, when you have a fixed mindset and you're expecting to see certain things, you see those things, but you can miss huge other things. And the way this relates to couples is I was finding again and again, as as I'd work with a couple, they would be locked into expectations. So if their partner, for example, where their partner had previously been unsupportive or 
uninterested in something. They expected the, that lack of interest and support to continue. And when their partner, you know, taking advantage of the coaching that was offered and the, and the decision that they had made that they want the relationship to improve, when the partner started to show signs that they wanted to give support and that they wanted to understand what was going on, those gestures went unnoticed. So when, when partners are changing, they tend to expect more of what they've already experienced. And they also are defending themselves against not being disappointed. So it's hard for partners to respond and support each other as they change their attitude towards making the relationship better. And that's, that's the tie-in between that experiment. That's why that experiment caught my eye. And, and I said, wow, um, it's very interesting in itself, but it has great applicability to couples work. Yeah, and and I think that's really insightful both in terms of the um the resistance to change that a couple might experience even when they have stated that they want to change, but and even if the change is good change that there's just uh, uh some some momentum that or and maybe it's more like inertia that carries them in the direction of um seeing things the way they've always seen them and also change is going to disrupt patterns that, and those patterns have probably been in place for good reason um, to, you know, maybe just to keep a couple with the illusion of being safe, even though that's probably Mm -hmm. not true. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it it makes sense on that level. And also um, if you consider that you're missing there are all the things that you're missing. So when you are focused on your partner's acts of being inconsiderate or angry or you know the things that we might complain about in our relationships, mm-hmm. then you're going to miss the gorilla in the room, which might be all the nice things that your partner exactly. is actually doing. Exactly. And that brings to mind something that, that is fits right into what you're saying is a lot of times people start changing and the partner will say, you know, that's not really you. You're just doing that, you know, because the therapist told you to do it or because because you think you should. But if you really felt that you wanted to treat me that way, you would have been doing it already. So that, that example is, you know, goes along with what you're saying about resistance and inertia you know, people uh, often are, they tend to resist believing in the new thing yeah. when it's happening. So what I like to try to do with that is give them a direct, um, a direct encouragement to try to look for those new things, to, to counter the resistance, to actually open to the possibility that it may feel uncomfortable to recognize new trends, but that's actually going to be the heart of what develops in couples' work if we can be successful and create a new beginning that that you know transforms the resentments and disillusions and disillusionments and disappointments. 
so that's you know it's like um trying to energize the positive yeah and you're reminding me that something i wanted to mention um to those people listening is that your book actually incorporates a lot of the work of other guests that we've had on the show into how you put this program to improve communication together. So I'm reminded in this moment of you bring up Dick Schwartz and internal family systems and how, you know, we might be convinced that when 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 our partner is doing something different, like you just said, well, that's not really you. You're just doing that because the therapist wanted you to do it. But I like how um, internal family systems creates this context where there are different parts of us. And it may be true that that new really positive action is actually inconsistent with the part of you that is a spiteful, rebellious teenager who doesn't want to ever wash the dishes. Right. But there's another part of you that's actually very willing and wants to show up in relationships. So so yeah. can we give our attention to those new parts that are so inherent in creating new patterns, new patterns for relating and communicating? Absolutely. That's a great point. And I love internal family systems conceptualizations and and I often use the idea when one partner is saying, you know, my partner is very angry at me. So I, I'm very, you know, guarded against hearing whatever they say because I know the anger is there. And I'll confirm that the anger is there. Let's assume it is there. Um, but I'll also say, hey, do you, do you think it's possible there are other parts that are there as well? Mm. And is there a loving part that you're not hearing, that's not coming through? And would you be willing to consider the possibility that that part is persevering and hoping to get a chance to connect with you. And we can have a dialogue about those parts of the couples, each, you know, uh, wanting to line up their, their more connected parts as opposed to their more angry parts. And I, you know, I find that that's a very humanistic perspective that I, I thank Richard Schwartz for. Yeah, and the the angry parts they're not gonna probably see eye to eye <laughs> very frequently, yeah, if ever. It, it, right, exactly. But you know, but they the, the angry parts are carrying a burden too, mm. and they be may, they may be willing to relax, having to take all that responsibility, as long as they feel assured that they're not going to be just um, iced out of the situation. In other yeah. words, the anger serves a purpose too. And there was a time whenever a defense has been created, there was a reason it was created. So, you know, it's it's not like we're trying to lop off a part of any person. We're trying to understand every part of every person and and give them their rightful place. Great. So, yeah, and to, to enlist the angry part in... Uh, in a in service in a way that's actually positive for the relationship. Yeah, yeah, we need that energy. Yeah. We don't want to lose that energy. We just want to reassign it in terms of its purpose. So I want to bring this back now to the three dimensions of communication. Sure. And because it seems like what would often cause an angry part to come online in full force is a sense that 
your safety is being threatened. Yeah. And so that third dimension that you mentioned at the very beginning of mm-hmm. of always keeping a sense of is your communication with your partner is it contributing to the um, the overall sense of emotional safety or is it detracting from it mm-hmm. can, can you talk for a moment about why that's so important and and how you maybe how you've seen it play out in terms of interactions with clients that were problematic and when they added that dimension to their communication how it could take it to a totally different place sure sure great question you know the thing is um we each have a capability to activate a part of our neurobiology that is very highly attuned to interpersonal issues we have the potential to uh, to empathize with each other in exquisite ways but we have to be relaxed within ourselves in order to do that we can't feel like we're under attack we have to feel safe so feeling safe is a kind of a prerequisite for making breakthroughs in intimate communication and that goes for interpersonal sexual it, it's down the line. In other words, for people to understand each other, they have to be open to each other. Now, when couples speak with each other, there's there's always an attachment element. You mean? I mean, I believe this, and this is the basis of you know contemporary attachment theory. That that you know people what they need from each other is to feel connected. You know, we we don't. If you, it sounds sentimental, but we can't survive without love. We can't survive without connection. So when people, just give you an example, two people, a mother and father, let's say, um, and a baby is in the back seat in a car seat, and uh, mom gets a little nervous that the car is moving quickly, and she's not saying that the car is out of control or it's, or it's a dangerous trip. But she's saying to her husband, can you slow down a little bit? Um, um, and he interprets that as she's saying she doesn't feel safe with his driving. So he, he doesn't, she's saying she doesn't feel safe with his driving means she doesn't trust him to him, which also means he feels she's kind of knocking his masculinity because he takes pride in his driving. Um, so before you know it, he's he's tightening up, and he's going to say something back to her along the lines of, you know, it doesn't seem like I can do anything right with you. I mean, here I am driving down the highway, not going beyond the speed limit, and you're still not satisfied. So there's a situation where neither of them start to feel safe. Let's Let's assume on the surface, her first dimensional request was to slow down. But on the second dimension, what she was really feeling was just a moment of anxiety about the child being in the car, just something that she worries about. Um, And she's not saying it's rational. She's not saying that anything dangerous is going on, but she's concerned and her mood is, is, is worried. That's her, that's her mood. Now he has taken what she said as a criticism 
And, and so they're both feeling distance. Now, if she had been able to say, for example, honey, I, I, you're driving great. I, I love, you know, I love the fact that you're driving because, you know, it, it's a big responsibility. But um, I know there may not be a good reason to do it. Could you slow down just a little bit? I'm feeling anxious and it might help me to calm down. Okay, so if she said something like that, he probably wouldn't feel she was criticizing him. On the other hand, when she asked him to slow down, if he had not gone into an automatic defensive response himself, he might have said, is something the matter? What, what's, what's going on? I, do you feel like I'm driving in an unsafe manner? And maybe they would have had a little conversation and she could have said, no, I guess I'm just being a little, I'm a little worried today. And the, the situation, that kind of a, of a dialogue might have brought them closer. It might have signified connection. You know, so, so this is an example. Sometimes people talk to each other, they press each other's buttons, they take each other in a direction that they, they hadn't really wanted the other to go. And, but there are ways to unravel that. You know, so this, this is, that was an example of an actual situation when it got spoken about in the therapy room and the guy had the, the, the realization, he accepted the fact that she, his, his partner was not trying to criticize him but was actually more preoccupied with her own feelings. And he, he said something like, you know, I'm really sorry I didn't pick up on what was going on. There was no reason, I guess, for me to feel defensive. And, and his partner said something reciprocal like, gee, if I had only told you what was going on inside of me instead of telling you to do something different, maybe we would have felt closer together. So you can see how this kind of dialogue would be an inroad into a couple changing the way they speak to each other, particularly when one feels criticized by the other. Because like I said, initially, the driver was feeling like he couldn't do anything right, right? Whatever he did, it would draw criticism. Right. And it became clear to him that, that, was, that his, his partner was not gunning for him. She was not just looking for ways to, to make him feel bad. She was actually just expressing her own inner anxiety. And it was coming out in such a way that, that he was interpreting it to mean that she was critical of him. And that happens very frequently. You know, people get locked into their own way of seeing things. But both of these people were able to say, hey, maybe there is another way to look at this. Yeah, and that makes me think both of, you know, if there was a history in that relationship, for instance, of the one partner, the wife being critical, then mm -hmm. there's that expectation, oh, here's another criticism coming at me. Absolutely. And um, and I'm also thinking about, you write um, about the power of the unconscious yeah. and, and how, um, and this assumption that we have that your partner says something and you feel a certain way as a result, 
So that must mean that the way that you're feeling is connected in some way to some truth about your exactly. what your partner just said. So maybe you can break that down a little yeah, bit for Yeah, let me break it down and, and fit it right into the example I just gave you. Great. Which, which is that on an unconscious level, the guy felt he didn't have any doubts about whether he was being criticized. He believed he was being criticized. Unconsciously, he was attuned to collect this criticism. He was used to it. In his, at least in his thinking, he was used to thinking it was there. And so we talk, that was the invisible gorilla for him. I mean, that, you know, that not seeing it would have been, uh, he was, his task was, in his, he had kind of directed himself to look for the criticism. And uh, it was very hard for him to shake that mindset and, and allow for the possibility that he might be misinterpreting because he, he just wasn't entertaining that, that as, as something that could be real. He, he thought he knew something, but he, he, he did not know it. He knew it, but in an incorrect manner. You could l- relate it to mind reading. He thought he was reading her mind and that she was being critical of him, but actually she was mis- he was misreading her mind and he was missing signals because of his unconscious tendency to understand a lot of what she said as criticism and not to be open to the possibility that it might be something other than criticism. So does that that make sense here? Yeah, uh, along with probably that the proportion of his response to perceived criticism is going to most likely be related to experiences that he's had throughout his life that have nothing to do with what's happening there in the car. But but due to the number of times that's happened or maybe a very significant in, in, uh, event when he was a kid or something. So like sure. th- you can feel like the this huge uh, tidal wave of emotion surge through um, which can can of course make getting mindful in those circumstances more challenging absolutely i mean you know we could you know it, it can be very convoluted or it can be something even simpler like here's a guy who takes pride in his driving he kind of feels really on top of the world when he's behind the wheel feels in control and then all of a sudden he's he thinks made to feel that he should really be watching himself, that, that in, instead of feeling master of the car, he might feel he, he's being viewed as being a possible danger to the family. And mm-hmm. that clash, it starts to enrage him. Yeah. make him angry. Yeah, that, um, that actually brings up a question that I had for you yeah. around... Um, Let's see if I can articulate this. So what you just described 
what came to me is that often when we are in those moments of personal glory, like we're driving down the road, feeling really good, mm -hmm. those are moments where we are really open and vulnerable in many respects because we're That's experiencing true. like the joy of life. And, and so our guard gets let, let down and we're, we're right in the flow of things and mm -hmm. can make us particularly susceptible to something coming at us crosswise because it's a vulnerable moment. Um, and then the question that I had was, That's true. Yeah. How, how does this apply in, because we're talking a lot about dif communicating difficult things or communicating mm -hmm. things that maybe shouldn't be difficult, but because one person is making assumptions about their partner's intent, it becomes difficult, like what mm -hmm. the situation we've been talking about. Yeah. What, ab what about communicating loving thoughts is there is there a context where those should be held in in the in that overall um, container of is this I, this is a loving thought is it creating emotional safety for me to offer it or is the way that I'm offering it helping foster yeah. safety well, and connection with my partner? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, and the thing is that the way you 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 judge that and the way you work with it is to maintain awareness. And if you have a loving thought and you want to have a loving impact, you say what you, what's on your mind and you notice the response. So in other words, the communication doesn't end once you've uttered what you want to say. The communication is a process and you follow through with the process. So you notice whether what you've said has the effect that you wanted it to have. And it's that same kind of awareness and and positive messages are just as important, if not more important, than negative. You know, because we, we talk about couples therapy and communication, a lot of times people think of, well, we're trying to work problem solve and make things better. But, you know, we, we also are trying to establish the positive and strengthen it. And we all, always want to work on that as well. You know, to give the partners what they need to arrange things so that communication is open, flowing, and receptive enough so that the love that's needed can come through, so that the contact that's needed can feel genuine. You know, so it takes that kind of very alive awareness to what's being said, how it's being said, how it's being received, what kind of responses it prompts, you know. Um, and right, because how many of us have had that experience of saying something that we thought was going to be really loving and tender to our our partner or out on a date or, what you know, whatever, and the person takes it totally the wrong way you know so yeah you're, and you're left in that state of bewilderment like wait a minute i was i was trying to connect and now we're headed down this totally other different yeah. path and that happens it happens a lot you know it's like let's say one person says to the, the other something like you're the person i want to be with there's nobody else that can make me feel as good about living my life as you do. And you'd think, well, that's a beautiful thing for somebody to say to another person. 
but let's say the person receiving that message is fixated on the idea that they want to have a child with with their partner and they rather than saying i love you too or that's really sweet or you know some kind of response like that they may respond by saying yeah but you're not saying you want to have a child with me and this is based on an actual experience um that somebody saying, I love you with all my heart and I always want to be with you, brings back uh, something that was experienced as an attack. So these things happen. But the, then the goal of the communication becomes explore why it happened. And, you know, in, the, in that instance, it's like having heard that there was so much love there for for the partner and the partnership activated feelings that maybe now I'm going to hear what I really want to hear, mm. you know? So they kind of jumped to this other place. What they left out was acknowledging or appreciating what had been said to them. You know, so that's, that's an example of a communication that skips over things. Yeah, and for the people listening, just so you know, both of these examples that that we've talked about so far, uh, if you want to know what actually happens, you can find out in Marty Babbitt's book, I'm Not a Mind Reader, which is available on Amazon and uh, other booksellers. And um, Marty is also generously offered a free signed copy of the book to a lucky listener. So if you're curious and want to qualify to win, you can download the show guide at neilsatin.com slash communication in order to qualify. Or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions there in order to qualify for the giveaway. So thank you so much for offering that, Marty. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, I'm sure the suspense is is really killing people who are listening. Um, but I actually, it's, it's really, I'm being somewhat joking about it, but it's really fascinating to watch how these, um, how these conversations, which uh, for me personally, I could totally relate in some in my current and definitely in past relationships to having had similar kinds of conversations and watching how they can shift just by putting your attention on a, on a different place. Um, you brought something mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. earlier that I'm, yeah, I I'm, mean, people are fascinating. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm curious to know if you can talk a little bit about receiving, and do you have recomm uh, recommendations for people who are in order to work on that particular skill, um, so that they're really getting what's being offered to them? Well, you um, know, it's interesting, yeah. Neil. Uh, you know, to receive, you've got to give to yourself. You've got to allow yourself to receive, which means to assent to the fact that you're being given to. You have to participate. So you have to overcome attitudes of resistance. For example, if you have an attitude, maybe I don't deserve love, you know, mm. um, you have to work with that. You, you if you, um, you know, if you're more comfortable, if, let's say your personality is based on being a caregiver. So you feel comfortable when you're giving the care. 
But when you're receiving care, you feel somewhat out of control because you're not in charge. So you, the first thing is you have to be aware of what your challenges are. And that's such an important thing. And that's what I really mean when I say, you know, when you're working on a relationship, you're working on learning. Because you're learning what your challenges are. And if you can turn problems into challenges, you can turn problems into opportunities. Opportunities to formulate what are the challenges here. You know, challenges for yourself and challenges for your partner. You know, it takes that kind of awareness. That's the third dimension in action. That's the reflective capacity, asking questions like, how can I make things better? How can I allow myself to feel more loved than I do? How can I have, you know, let's say you've had a problem receiving. How can I work with that and maintain my integrity and still, still keep a gauge on feeling comfortable with what's happening? Because, you, you know, if, let's say you're receiving and you're feeling overwhelmed. You can't just disregard your feelings. You have to acknowledge your feelings. Right. But feelings are complex. And you're, you want to acknowledge and accept the complexity of the situation. So and another a synonym for complexity in this kind of conversation would be richness. The richness of possibility. You know, it's unending. You, you know, you... you are looking to create possibilities, new roads where you thought there might be dead ends. Yeah, one of my favorite questions... So you're always looking to... uh, Yeah, mm -hmm. I was just going to say one of my favorite questions in, in general, but definitely in the context of relationship is, well, first, what else is possible in this moment? Like, what else other than mm-hmm. where you know where I can see this is going? What else is possible? And then the right, second, that's the third dimension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the second is, um, what if this isn't what I think it is? It's another great question. See, these are the questions that make awareness three dimensional. It's in other words, you're aware of something, but you're also aware you can look at it from more than one angle. Yeah. So it's three dimensional. You can walk around it. You can see the other side of it. You know, it looks like your partner's making fun of you, but actually, maybe that's a sympathetic smile. Maybe they're not making fun of you. You know, sometimes people, like my partner has smirked at me in the past, but that doesn't mean they're doing it right then. Can you explore and see? Have, you know, things change so can you be open to the possibility that attitudes can change and that people can grow? Can you have confidence that your partner wants to grow with you? I mean, these are big things, and then none of them can be answered just in the moment. Right, and, and hearing, like, I, I feel like I'm steeped in the possibility of, you know, of what could be um, when I hear mm-hmm. those questions. And at the same time, I also can imagine hearing those questions and thinking, 
oh my God, but I'm so buried in the complexity and resentment and, you know, my partner always criticizes me or it's so, so I'm wondering if we can go for a few minutes into troubleshooting mode for people who are having that kind of experience where, where, like, how would they know if, or or how would they turn the ship around? Like you're, you're in a conversation and Mm -hmm. it's about to go south and you, and you know it, what do you do? Okay, so you know, hey, we're I think we're at a place we've been at before. And I know what's happened in the past. You think it's possible we can do things differently? You know, one person says to the other, Hey, you know, the problem is we don't know how to communicate. We're just not good at communicating. And the the other person may say, You know, I agree with you, we've had problems communicating. And we haven't learned how to do it well yet, but that doesn't mean we can't. So that yet holds all those possibilities in mind. Mm. You know, um, you want to be mindful. Like I'm having that feeling again that we're 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 going further away from each other. And I sense that your anger is is activating. Let's take a brief break from each other and resolve to come back again and and approach this with a more positive attitude. Because right now I'm feeling a little hopeless about getting my point across. And not only getting my point across, but understanding what your point is without being defensive. You know, these are, these are ways you can kind of change the dance. But also, I want to caution, you know, and make clear, I'm not saying this is easy. And what you're, it's a great question. It's a question about one of the most difficult moments in communication when, when things are not going well. And that really, you have to have kind of um, a plan to deal with those kind of moments. Like let's say one person starts to raise their voice at a moment like that. And they can have a, a, a plan set up so that when, when one of them starts raising their voice, the other says, hey, you must really be activated right now because you're raising your voice. Were you aware of that? And uh, I think we should slow down like rather than speed up we need to slow down and it you have to give each other permission to slow down and understand that slowing down means creating emotional safety and some sometimes that's a very helpful thing when people get the idea that when you're up regulated meaning when your heartbeat is up you're less likely to create emotional safety so you can work with yourself, work with your self-awareness. You, you're not going to be able to get around your biological state. If you're in a state of fight or flight, meaning if you're activated, if you're defensive or angry, that's not going to be a time where you're going to work through and create new understandings that are going to be the foundation of a better relationship. That's going to be a moment to get through so you can get to those moments where you can make things better. 
but you want to essentially initiate damage control when you're in that mode. Yeah, and I could imagine even, like, let's say you're on the receiving end of something that you perceive to be criticism, and and you feel yourself surging into that fight-or-flight space, to be able to even say to your partner, wow, I okay, so I hear what you're saying, and it sounds to me like, like you want xyz from me you know which would be the the content of the criticism and then to be able to say right now Mm -hmm. i'm so i'm feeling so triggered and angry that it's really hard for me to hear that can we work on building our can we work on just building safety because i want to be able to show up for you for what however you're criticizing me and that Mm -hmm. may be an opportunity where the other person's like like in the case of the car the person may be like whoa wait i wasn't even criticizing you (laughs) You know, I was just dealing, I was feeling a little nauseous because we were going so fast and the, the, you know, know, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, hopefully that would be an invitation for the, the criticizer to be like, okay, like you're at least hearing me. Um, Right. Yeah. That's, and what you said was beautiful. That, that's a beautiful nuanced communication that shows an openness to listening. You know, I also counsel some some of my clients that do have a problem with anger. I counsel them have an insult substitute ready. <laughs> you know, like have a statement like, "I'm not going to say what's on my mind right now because if I do, it's going to create bad feelings, and in the end, I'm going to be saying something I don't even mean anyway." But I just want you to know I'm that angry that I would say something that I think would be destructive if I open my mouth right now. So I'm going to, for the sake of the relationship, chill out for a minute. You know? Yeah. And for some people, that's a big, that's so much better than, than them blurting out things that they do regret that really hurt their partner's, not just feelings, but their ego. And, you know, you sometimes say things that you can't take back and you do scar people. With, by, by giving them the idea that, that you feel they're not worthy of your trust. Or, for example, you know, or if you're intentionally wanting to hurt them because you're angry in a moment of anger, you, you want to be able to protect yourself against your own destructive impulses. Yeah. You know, so I, so I try to, and people usually laugh when I use that, say the term, inst, insult substitute, but I really mean it. Yeah, it's brilliant. I was immediately thinking of my kids who have the tendency to yell out, you're so stupid whenever they're angry about something. And I was just like, oh, imagine if they were saying like, you're so pomegranate or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I- I'm, I'm curious about... Earlier you brought up this question of someone, what they actually really want to hear from their partner. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you have any insight or exercises that are along those lines of helping a couple, particularly one maybe that's in crisis, get to those statements of of like what a like a true request from their partner like i really need to hear this from you and so and I, and i'm aware yeah. as i'm asking that like 
wow, in order to say those things, that's going to be vulnerable. And so you got to create the safety for people to mm -hmm. be able to feel able to make those requests. But I'm just going to put that out there and see yeah, well, what you think. I do that a lot. I do that a lot. And what I do is I have a structured conversation. And the goal of the conversation, I, I use this as like a slogan I have, communicate, don't debate. We're, we're not talking about who's right. We're not talking about who's wrong. We're talking about a conversation in which the goal is for each of you to just hear what the other is thinking and feeling. So let's see if we can make that the goal of this, this next five minutes of conversation. And we take turns. And, and I say, I'll also sometimes structure it like this, saying... What is it you feel that your partner is not hearing, that you would like to be able to get through to them, but you feel you haven't been able to just get it through as a clear statement of what you feel? So again, we're not talking about who's right or wrong, and this isn't a time to build a case, but it is a time to have your feelings heard. And, you know, the... The idea is that for each of you, you don't have to agree, but you have to agree to be open to hearing each other and understanding. And then the actual nuts and bolts decision making, if not being easy, it will come easier and it may come over time, but you'll, you'll be open to the possibility of working things out rather than feel deadlocked in not understanding each other. So, and I'll ask people, do you want to do that? Do you want to have that kind of conversation? And they, they will, you know, you know, 99 out of a hundred times or more, because that's what we're there for. We're there to open up the communication. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned, I think you phrased another question, like, are you willing to be open to the possibility that you could have this kind of, interaction instead of this other one like even that is just setting the stage for some openness and receptivity mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah you know and use the word invite the optimal prelude to communication is invitation you you can't force somebody to think a certain way or feel a certain way or see a point of view even but you can invite them to do that and by inviting them, you honor their sense of being able to choose where they put their attention and how they organize their feelings. So you're honoring their inner world by inviting them. And then you go from there. You know, there the, the, go ahead. Yeah, there's something also that you brought up earlier that I think is is so profound, which is the um, the way that, actually, I think this was in your book, and then something you said earlier made me think of it, which is that criticisms can actually be a way, not necessarily the best way, but they can be a way for your partner to say that they actually need to connect with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a big, you know, that's a big... Uh, principle involved in attachment theory 
that, you know, the motivation we have in communicating is to connect. So often when we're frustrated and we don't know how to connect effectively or, or attach securely, what comes out is the frustration. And the frustration can come out looking like hostility. You know, and it, it's not necessarily hostility against the person, even though it can sound that way. That's like the first dimension. It can sound really angry. But what's underneath it can be a, a pleading for, can't you understand it's so important for me to connect with you? And I want you to see it from my point of view, not so I can dominate you, but so we can be together. Because what's really frightening to me is I'm feeling abandoned. And I'm feeling like I don't have a way back to connect with you. And that's what's most important to me. You know, so you want to, often criticism is a veiled attempt at repairing a disconnection. And I try to give that its due. Just like what we were talking about with part theory before. Often that angry part has gotten angry because it's frustrated about not being able to make a more effective connection. So it may feel it's failing in its mission. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I really appreciate your work um, because it's it's giving that attention not to just like, are we able to communicate well and accurately, um, which, you know, in the even in the communication exercise that you described it's it sounds a lot like for instance doing imago dialogue mm -hmm, with your partner mm -hmm. yeah but with yeah, that added with mm -hmm. that added component of like is what i want to deliver here it's like you got to set that context which is you know clearly what you're talking about with attachment theory is like are we creating a safe container for our relationship or not and even this thing that is like so urgent for me to communicate however I can communicate it, is that contributing? Like just to, to ha always have that question in your awareness, is that contributing to the emotional safety and sense of connection in this relationship or not? Mm -hmm. I got to think that's going to change a lot of communication patterns right there just to have that awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that it's, and it's similar. I thank you. I, I think that it does that. And, and it's like thinking, rethinking what listening is. A lot of people think listening is hearing somebody else's voice. But listening involves also hearing your own internal voice, being aware of what you're thinking and feeling, and putting that together with what you're hearing from the other person, and also imagining what's going on inside of them that's produced this speech that you're hearing now. You know, so it, it gives you a chance to really... Want, it shows a willingness to think three-dimensionally. Yeah. To think in terms of a person being, you know, more than just the superficial words they produce. You know, although words can be profound, there's, you know, we're sharing lives, not words. And what people mean is more important than what they say. Although the, there's a, obviously a, real and strong relationship between the two. But not everybody can put into words what they really mean. And a lot of people need help doing that. So we want to have compassion in moving them towards being able to express themselves more fully 
in order to be able to get more of what they need and want. And hopefully what more what more more of what the couple needs and wants. One last question for you, Marty. Sure. When you, the title of your book, mm-hmm. I'm not a mind reader. Yeah. I can you can you just talk a little bit about, about what like, that's about? Yeah, why why I'm not a mind reader? You know, because oh, a lot of people, you know, like if they 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 say things like, "If you really loved me, you'd understand how I feel." Right? There's an expectation. Um, I wouldn't have to spell things out for you. It wouldn't be this difficult. Uh, then, on the other hand, people make assumptions and they say, oh, you knew what I was feeling, but you did what you wanted to anyway, because you don't care. Right? Right. So, you know, it's like the issue of how you, how you analyze or, or hold on to what you think your partner is thinking and feeling becomes a critical aspect of the tone of the relationship. And it's, it's 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 not mind reading per se that that I think is so destructive. It's misreading somebody else's mind, but assuming that you have it right. So there's no chance for them to really re-enter the situation because they've been misunderstood from the get-go. Yeah, you know. So that the reason I use that phrase is because it, it's something I, a lot of people have told me they resonate with it. You know, that they're often in a situation where they feel like they're being, like, um, asked to understand something that they haven't been explained, that hasn't been explained to them. You know, yeah. like you should have known that already. And I'm glad that I asked you the question because I think it's easy to, it's easier to assume that that's the, the whole perspective on it, like... Um, you know, that situation where somehow I'm supposed to read your mind and know that you ra- would have rather had chocolates than flowers or, you, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's the flip side of like kind of reminding people you are not a mind reader. Like, so your assumptions about what is going on with your partner may or may not be true. In fact, in most cases, probably are not true, especially if you're assuming the worst instead of the best. Right. And so, that yeah. and that and that leads into a kind of a golden rule, which is you have a responsibility to help your partner understand what you're feeling. Yeah. You don't want them to be in a position of having to guess. That's you know, part of what you need to do. I mean, that, that attitude of, well, they should know. Well, okay, you can turn that around and say, Well, you should explain. You should you should speak. You should use the tool that you have. This language ability to make it clearer for them to be able to give you what you want and you can do that for each other you can demonstrate you're really partners and not adversaries by taking that extra step which is not to say that partners who are close sometimes can really understand each other on a very deep level and there is something very beautiful and real about genuine unconscious communication. It does happen, but it can't be taken for granted. And it, you know, it's, um, 
it's one of those magical moments that happens in life. Yeah. But in general, we have to, relationships do take work. The, the predominant element in a successful relationship is not magic, it's work. I love it. I love yeah. it. So on we're <laughs> we are here promoting we're promoting the possibility of magic and and in fact I'm reminded of our episode with Patricia Albert of Evolutionary Collective where she talks about developing shared consciousness with your partner. Mm. And yeah. you can't assume that that's where it's going and especially if you're in these like repetitive cycles of miscommunication with your partner if that's the case then then the shared consciousness ain't working so so it's better yeah. to uh to you know get intentional about right. it you need some tools to get toward to move in that direction yeah most people do well marty thank you so much for your time today and your book i'm not a mind reader using the power of three-dimensional communication for a better relationship i found it to be so rich to borrow the word that you used earlier and and i think it'll be really useful for my listeners as a as a guide to not only not only how to communicate with your um with your partner better or with people in the world better in general um, but also how to how to repair when damage is done, and we've only been able to cover, you know, a small portion of what you wrote about. But thank you so much for your wisdom in the book and synthesizing a lot of the material that we've been covering on this show. And um, and thanks again for your for your time today, and sure. your and your generosity with that with the giveaway offer. Absolutely, and yeah, it's been a pleasure. I want to remind. Great. I want to remind our, our listeners that you can find out more about Marty Babbitts and his work at martybabbitts.com. That's M-A-R-T-Y-B-A-B-I-T-S.com. Uh-huh. And uh, Marty, you also have a blog on Psychology Today. Is that right? I do. I do. And, that's, and I'd love people to come by and uh, read the latest um articles and make comments leave suggestions i i love to interact with with my readers great yeah and in fact you're one of the rare people who actually gives out your email address in your book so um mm, that's true if you to my listeners if you're if you read the book definitely take marty up on that there's a, a great section in the book called 20 questions that's all about how to um it, it's a great way of analyzing your assumptions about how communication ought to be and how you are. And, uh, and I found in going through that section, it was very enlightening for some of my own blind spots in terms of communicating. So Marty, uh, thank you again. And if you want to qualify for the free giveaway, um, please download the show guide, neilsatin.com slash communication or text the word passion to the number three, three, four, four, four. And uh, let us know what you thought of this episode. All right. Thank you so much, Marty. Thank you, Neil. Thanks. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. 
And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.